The following is a conversation between Hadi Partovi, founder and CEO of Code.org, and Denver Frederick, the host of The Business of Giving. Code.org is dedicated to expanding access to computer science in schools and increasing participation by women and underrepresented youth. But now, with schools closed across America, how do they reimagine their service delivery model so as to continue this work? To find out, it's a pleasure to have with us the founder and CEO of Code.org, Hadi Partovi. Welcome back to the Business of Giving, Hadi. Good to see you. Thank you so much for hosting me. You know, before we address the impact of COVID-19, tell us about Code.org and the kind of work that you do. Sure. So Code.org is a nonprofit. We're helping schools teach computer science, but we also create the online courses that are used in schools. And in fact, we've become the largest curriculum provider for learning computer science as early as kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. Uh, And the reason that we focus on teaching computer science at these grades is because in the 21st century, understanding how technology works and how to create technology has become as foundational as learning things like chemistry or biology or even algebra. And we believe these things should be taught in school so that every student has the opportunity to learn more about them. Mm -hmm. Is there any kind of correlation between children who take computer science and how well they do in other subjects or whether they go on to college or not? Absolutely. And in fact, we just published a a series of six different studies that show basically that students as early as third grade can see improvements in reading, writing, math, science, problem solving if they study computer science in schools. And by high school, you see they get better results on AP exams and other subjects such as statistics or calculus if they also study science. And students who study computer science in high school are 17% more likely to enroll in college than students who don't. And that's after you account for things like their socioeconomic background or their gender or their grades. They see students who are otherwise similarly situated, the ones who study computer science end up doing better at school and they have a higher chance of getting into college. So we think it's a foundational thing that should be part of the school system, not just for people who are interested in tech, but for people who want to do better in their careers and their lives. Yeah, that's pretty impressive data. So you're headquartered in Washington State, and we're on the cutting edge of the coronavirus coming to America. But as it spread across the country, and it became apparent to you and your board and the team that was there that there was not going to be school this year, What was your reaction and how did the organization begin to swing into action? So it's funny because for me, I felt like I made the realization late, which was in early March, where I wish I had done it in late February. Uh, But we Mm -hmm. realized schools are going to start closing. And I told my team, we shouldn't just look at what's happening in Seattle, which was on the early cusp of school closures. I just said, let's plan for every school in the entire world to be closing what would our work look like if that happens and at this point this was back when new york city schools were still open and the mayor was claiming that he wouldn't close them uh, and many many states still had their schools open we basically started the plan for how's this going to work when all schools are closed and the work of code.org is historically focused on teaching computer science in schools but when school is closed we basically figured out how do we help students learn computer science even without school. And one nice thing is much of the resources of code.org, even though we're designed for school classrooms, are just as accessible at home. And in fact, in any given day during pre-pandemic periods, roughly a third of all of the students on code.org were students 
working at home without a teacher. So that is still something that is happening, but then we decided to create a classroom for these students so that even if they don't have a school teacher helping them, that we can help them live as teachers ourselves. So you were kind of wired for this to begin with, and out of it has come, I think what you're referring to, something called Code Break? Yep, Code Break uh, is our latest creation. And the idea is if you're studying alone, or if you're just tired of dealing with the pandemic, take a code break. Coding and computer science is so much more fun than a lot of what schools are, are pushing students to do to prepare for their math exams and all the sort of requirements of graduation. The fun thing about coding and computer science is it's creative and it's expressive and, and there's no sort of right or wrong. In a lot of cases, it's about creating what app you want or creating the game that you like and changing the rules and so on. And that's why we call it Code Break, to, to take a break from all the other stuff that people are doing right now. Aside from the name, the whole concept is it's a live interactive classroom at a very large scale. There's been lots of people creating online courses. And in fact, Code.org is one of the largest online course providers in the world. But traditional online courses aren't live and interactive. Live interactive classrooms really means you and the teacher and the other students are all in one place at the same time, mm -hmm. totally interacting with each other. And people are doing that in classrooms of 20 or 30. We decided we'll do it in classrooms of thousands where yeah. uh, thousands of students can raise their hand or ask a question or answer a question. For example, we had Mark Cuban on Code Break and we had students present their app ideas to him in a Shark Tank style. And then instead of Mark Cuban choosing the winner, we had the entire audience vote on which app idea that they liked the most. And then we taught them how to create that app on the fly and then shared the app out to all the students so they could actually, literally the thing that they voted on, the winning app was in their hands, was created in front of their faces and in their hands by the end of the episode. That's a new type of, I guess, education and entertainment combined that I don't think has been done before. And it's been really fun to put together. Yeah, I mean, all I can say is how cool is that? Who have been some of your other guests? Uh, so we had Hill Harper from The Good Doctor on. We had mm -hmm. Ashton Kutcher. He taught encryption and he actually sort of encrypted a message using a cipher. He read out his secret message and the entire audience tried to decode it. The most well-known was yesterday we had Bill Gates on the show and we had Bill Gates talk about how modeling and simulation are used to track the course of the pandemic or a virus. And then we built our own simulation of a virus spreading and then helped students make an app where any student can create an app tracking the spread of the virus within their community, within their state or within their country using public data that we basically sort of massage to make it more easy to use by students. Yeah, that's really something. And as you said, it's not just a handful. I mean, you had 20,000 live students the other day and they're not here from the United States. They are from across the globe. When is Code Break on? So Code Break is every Wednesday at one o'clock in the afternoon uh, in the Eastern time zone, 10 a.m. in the West Coast. There's mm -hmm. students there from Hawaii, so they're doing it at 7 a.m. We had live students from Japan and China calling in at midnight or 2 a.m. their time. Uh, so it's a global audience at this point, and it's incredible that there's a number of people coming in from India, from the southern tip of Africa, from South America, but obviously the largest audience is here in the United States. And next week, we're actually going to be excited to invite Vince Cerf, who's the inventor of the internet, teaching a lesson mm -hmm. on how the internet works. 
uh, and he'll be joined by actor and producer Keegan-Michael Key. It's going to be a hilarious interaction between the two of them and with the students. So I'm really excited about it. Well, keep up the good book and you've really set a pretty high bar here. I don't even know where you go. You know, another thing you're featuring on your website is one of your signature initiatives, and that is Hour of Code. Speak to that. The Hour of Code is the best idea I've ever had in my entire life. I remember the day it popped into my head, the day the idea gelled, I knew I'm never going to come up with something this good. The idea for that is basically anybody can spend one hour, whether you're a teacher doing it in your classroom, whether you're an adult who wish you had learned some coding or computer science, or whether you're an eight or 10 year old who's bored and at home during a pandemic, you can spend one hour learning coding and trying to understand the problem solving and creativity that goes into creating computer technology. And we started it as a set of activities created by code.org, but we did it in partnership with what has now become almost a thousand partners who create activities and tutorials and spread the word. And that movement has continued through the pandemic. Still every single day, 1 million people are doing the hour of code. And seven mm -hmm. years since it started, we're about to pass 1 billion hours of code. I think we're seven days away from that happening. So I can't mm -hmm. wait to, to pass that milestone. But the hour of code is a great introduction to computer science. It's important to point out, however, that you don't do only one hour of biology or only one hour of math. These are fields that you study multiple years throughout school. And so the Hour of Code is really a campaign to introduce this subject to help people recognize how easy and fun it is. But really our end goal is for computer science to be taught as a year long subject throughout the different grade bands so students really get a, a deeper familiarity with it. Right. And I see you now have the hour code in 45 languages, which is something. There are few, if any, organizations who haven't taken a fundraising and a financial hit as a result of this pandemic. What are some of the ways you're addressing that currently and how are you thinking about it and getting your financial footing going forward? So we're completely supported by generous contributions, whether it's from individual donors all the way up to corporations or wealthy individuals or foundations supporting us. And we're so lucky to have their support. These are tough times for everybody, but they're especially tough times for nonprofits. So oh, it's yeah. important, first of all, for us to thank the supporters we've already had, but also to reach out to new people who want to support free education for students to expand opportunities. One thing that's been great for us is our work has been growing internationally. So there's a lot of groups that are interested in spreading sort of the the best in computer science education coming out of America to other countries that are looking for leadership in computer science. And that has been a growth area for us actually financially. So we actually see an increase in donations on that front, but we really love the support that we've got and we need more of it. So we encourage everybody to, to help us. If you go to the code.org website, even if you don't want to donate money, buying a hat or a t-shirt and helping spread the word on social media can help. And there's a button to, that says help us that anybody can, can participate in. And they're cool hats. I will say that. They are very, very cool hats. Um, hats I mean, are very cool. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> How has it been working with your team? I mean, here you are, you're all working remotely, out of your homes, on Zoom. It really has changed, I think, the dynamic of virtually every organization. I mean, are there things that are happening now and ways that you're working now that you hope you can take back to the office when we finally get back to that office? 
Well, that's a great question because for us, roughly one third of our workforce has always been remote and working from mm -hmm. home. And one thing I need to keep in mind, anytime we talk about this in our group meetings, they remind me that this isn't a new thing, only for you it's new. Um, <laughs> and I think, first of all, it'll bond our team more with sort of the, the challenges of working from home for the folks on our staff who've been working from home for, for the entire time they've been at code.org. Uh, we've had people asking, should we even return to an office? Why don't we keep it this way? What are the pros and cons and, and things like that? Yeah. Certainly the ways we connect with our remote staff are going to increase now that we, we have all gotten a better taste for what it's like. Mm -hmm. Hadi, what have you found to be the keys to being an effective leader in a crisis like this with tremendous uncertainty and ambiguity and really no clear idea of what it's going to look like in the fall? What are those things that you've leaned upon to try to help your, lead your team through this? Thank you. So I'm not sure if I would go out to claim I've been an effective leader, but that'd be something you'd need to ask my staff or others who support the work of code.org. But I can tell you the two things I've leaned on. One has been empathy and the other is creativity. By empathy, I mean just thinking about the challenges that people are really having, whether it's caring for a loved one, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, worrying about their futures, teachers who no longer see their students every day and are wondering what's happening in their lives. This is not easy and empathizing with that as a leader is really important. The second is thinking out of the box because just following the same rule book and doing the same thing, but doing it from home isn't necessarily the right thing. And in fact, we had our entire staff spend a large brainstorm discussion coming up with every idea is okay, put every idea on the table of what, what would we consider doing differently. And in fact, the idea for code break and even the name for code break came out of that giant brainstorm of 80 different people submitting different suggestions and seeing which things feel like they go well together. But thinking out of the box is not easy. It's not the common way to think. Most people mm -hmm. like to have their routine, but as leaders, we need to think broadly, what are things we could do differently and better given these new circumstances? Yeah, very interesting. What do you think the impact of this pandemic is gonna have? First, how it pertains to education and how learning is done and delivered in the future, and then on philanthropy and the way donors and nonprofits are gonna go about their partnerships. On education, it's clear that school is not gonna be back to the same as it was next school year. It might not be closed, but it's definitely gonna be different. And nobody knows for sure exactly how different. But one thing that I think is gonna be a permanent change in education is teachers getting a lot more comfortable with technology. Uh, if you had to ask, teachers two years ago about their comfort levels. Some were very comfortable, others were not. And really most teachers don't have time to learn the new tools and to come up to speed with what works and how to use it. Most teachers have thought, you know what, I know how to deal with this classroom the way I did last year and the year before, and I'm gonna continue doing that. They no longer have that option, so they're forced to learn a bunch of new technology. And once they do, I think they're gonna continue using some of those tools in their classrooms because I think there's gonna be ways they realize they can improve on the previous model of doing stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. And really my hats are off to the teachers who are turning around on a dime to figure out how to keep students educated despite all this stuff. In terms mm -hmm. of philanthropy, I think there's a lot of attention obviously going towards treatments and vaccines. And I'm not personally a part of that, but I'm so glad that so many people are. The other area of philanthropy that I think is Shifting is figuring out how to do distance learning and education in a world where people are not all together at the same time. 
And I think that's going to bear long-term fruit because just as the code break class that I lead is teaching students from Africa and India and China and from North and South and East and West, tools that enable education beyond borders are going to have value beyond this pandemic. And I'm excited to see that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Finally, Hadi, traumatic events like this, boy, they bring with them an endless series of challenges, but they also provide opportunities for institutions to learn and to evolve and seize those new possibilities. What opportunities do you see for Code.org as you look out toward the future? So for Code.org, in the long run, I think our mission stays the same, to help every student have the opportunity to learn computer science in school. And we've been in a multi-year process of expanding our mission to be more global in nature. And this pandemic being global in nature has caused us to think globally and to build solutions that work virtually, which then works beyond boundaries and beyond borders. And that's all going to help our global effort. The other thing I would say, and this is about code.org, but also goes beyond code.org, is we live in very unique times. This is a historic challenge that the human race will look on hundred years from now and will be part of the history of what reshaped the human race. And those of us who are living through it right now, we have an opportunity to really build the future that we want, the way that we want. And I see a lot of people who are pointing fingers or placing blame and being divisive, but I also see so many people who are finding new ways to come together and support each other and to get creative about new ways of solving old problems. And I'd like to believe that in the long run, when we look back at this pandemic, will have enabled humanity to all act as the better versions of ourselves. And that's a message that I've been repeating really in every venue I get for people to really think about what could we do as a human race to bring out the best of ourselves as we deal with this historic challenge. Yeah, it certainly is a great message. And this is a time to create a new social contract. And I trust we will do it and we will do it right this time. One last time, the website for people who either want to get that hat or make a contribution. Code.org, C-O-D-E.org. Thank you, you know, so much. I know how busy you are, Hadi, and I just want to let you know how grateful I am to you for taking the time to share all this information and these insights with us. Thanks and stay well. Thank you, you as well.